Welcome to a very special bonus episode of Booze and Buffy, a podcast where we normally are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series one by one, spoiler free, except for this week. I'm Harrison, and I like to call people a stupid little bitch. <laughs> that is, I mean, I have heard you say that to people, mostly John, but it's uh, not in, in that in jest, accent. In jest. Not in that That's accent. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, and I'm Jason, and... Yeah, it's kind of weird when my uh, buddy's just, you know, talking to me on the second floor of a building. Yeah. Second floor or higher, even. I'm not sure which one it was. Not the ground one. No. <laughs> um, that scene was very... Reminded me of Salem's Lot. Yeah. Um, but uh, Harrison, normally I'd ask you what episode we're watching this week, but doesn't seem appropriate because no. what are we watching this week well in celebration of its 30th anniversary of its Woo! release we are watching the original buffy the vampire slayer film uh we knew we'd we we knew we'd eventually do it but uh felt appropriate 30 years yeah just like me congrats it, you you and buffy came into this world at the same time that feels right yeah that feels right and you also had, like, some bumpy starts. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> but we all have bumpy starts. Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, was written by Joss Whedon and directed by Fran Rubel Kuzui? Kuzui, I Kuzui? think. Kuzui? Okay. And it was released on July 31st, 1992, which... Um, is also Harry Potter's birthday. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's, like, his actual, like, year that he was born, but, um, that is, uh... No, because the books are set from 91 to 97. Yeah. So, he um, born so in... I think he's actually, like, a little older than 80? me. 1980, I think? That's he's 11 in 91. Okay, alright. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, 1980. Sounds right. Um, um but yeah, so, this would be... Uh, dur- set during Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. So if you wanted to, well, look, weirdly, I know exactly what Harry was doing on his birthday because that's when uh, the uh, it's when the Weasleys show up and break him out of the yeah. out of the Dursleys' house. Uh huh. Because he was because bar- the house he was fucking barred in there. The house elf did the thing. Dropped the pudding. Yeah, Dobby. Uh, anyway, let's hit that intro. <laughs> Music. I'm not a football player. Jason! Harrison. Would you like to tell our beautiful, luscious, oh magnificent listeners, uh, sorry, this thing about glory, uh, <laughs> what we're drinking today? Um, we are drinking some apple wine that you uh, mm-hmm. popped open. Yeah. Uh, you know, special episode, special occasion, let's have something different. Yeah. I like that, I like that rationale. I agree. This is a birthday present from my grandma. Um, so thanks, Grandma. And we're using it to celebrate Buffy's birthday. Yeah, this feels... All of this is feeling right to mm-hmm. me. All of this is feeling right. Um, so actually, so you were born July 17th, mm-hmm. 1992. Correct. So you are exactly two weeks older than this movie. Yeah, at least the release of it. Yeah, the release Presumably, of it. well, 
we'll get into some production history in a minute. Like the film existed prior to my birth, but uh, but it was still in the womb. Um, and we'll have some, I'll have some thoughts about wombs in this film. And don't know why I'm saying it like that. Womb, womb, there it womb. is. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know what? Fuck it. Just a toast to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Cheers. Let's see how this goes. Okay. That's really, just this kind of tastes like a cider. Yeah, but with like a whiny, like a wine kind of aftertaste. Yeah. I don't mind it. It's not my favorite in the world, but yeah, I mean, I'll, it's, I'll it's drink drinkable. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what a journey that was. <laughs> what a journey. So listeners, um, if you're either joining us for the first time, uh, normally or you know not, normally we are spoiler free. Uh, but uh, for uh, like most of our bonus episodes, we're just full spoilers on the table. So if you've not watched the entire series, go finish it real quick. And come back and join us. I mean, we're, and we'll probably be making some references uh, to the series, but I can't see us going too far in our references. Probably not. Um, but, uh, but you know, just in case, here be spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll also uh, not be doing a full, full recap like we normally do. Because it's a long movie. It's a long, well, <laughs> it's not it, a particularly it, it's long It's longer movie. than an episode. Exactly. But because it is feature length. Yes. Um, so I have come prepared today with some production history for this film. So I pull my laptop over here so I can read it. So obviously the film was written by Joss Whedon. Mm -hmm. Um, so in 1991, Joss Whedon was 25 and he sold the script for Buffy the Vampire Slayer to Sand Dollar, which is Dolly Parton's production company. Um, at the time he was quite unknown he had written four episodes of roseanne okay um in its second season so so this is before alien resurrection yes okay. resurrection was 97 all right um so many studios passed on the project until director uh fran rubel kazooie um i'm i'm hoping those are the correct pronunciation pronunciations for all three of those names <laughs> uh uh, she had recently had a critical hit with her debut film, Tokyo Pop. Um, and she and her co- co-producer husband, Kaz, cast Luke Perry as the male lead. At this point, 20th Century Fox was like, oh, he's a hot commodity right now. Um, they stepped in as the distributor with the condition that the film be ready to release the following summer. Uh, so with this pretty tight window, plus Perry's shooting schedule for Beverly Hills 90210, which was going into its second season, the film was given a five-week uh, five week prep period and a six-week shoot uh, to have the film out in time. And that's... That's, that's not a, a lot of time. That's a fast turnaround. <laughs> um, so Whedon was around... Especially with like all that like choreography. Right? Gosh. Like yeah. both fighting and cheerleading. Yeah, yeah. Um, one set of choreography which looks markably better than the other. Um, so Whedon was around for the majority of the shoot, but eventually left after being dissatisfied with how it was going. The studio disliked the darker tone of the script, wanting the film to be a lighter comedy, resulting in several changes. Uh, for instance, in the original script, Merrick was to die by suicide, 
um, and a sequence in the climax where Buffy burns down the gym to kill all of the vampires was removed. Ah, mm-hmm. you know, so I was actually waiting for You were that waiting for because, that to happen. Because in the pilot episode mm-hmm. of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Welcome to Hellmouth, um, when Buffy's talking to Principal Flutie, um, he does say, like, you burned down the la- your, the gym at your last school? And she's like, well, that gym was full of vandals. Uh, she <laughs> says, "Van." Asbestos. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Although I do like vandals. <laughs> I murdered them. <laughs> um, uh, Whedon has also been vocally critical of Donald Sutherland's behavior on set, calling him difficult to work with. Um, all right, we'll just. Well, that's a lot of uh, pot calling the kettle <laughs> difficult to work with. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, Sutherland would allegedly improvise an ad lib and Kuzui would allow it due to his star power. He was um, of the cast, the most kind of famous and well established oh, yeah. performer. Uh, it, yeah, it honestly still surprises me that he was even in this movie. Yeah, right? Um, but I've always seen Donald Sutherland, especially in his like earlier films, like mm-hmm. Animal House and. Uh, God, there was another one. Um, I feel like Invasion of the Body Snatchers is kind of cheating, but I've always felt that uh, Donald Sutherland plays exclusively creepy characters. Uh, but he was a bit like the Joaquin Phoenix of his time, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and I was like, gosh, I wonder. Like, I mean, he's supposed to be the good guy, he's supposed to be the Watcher, so I wonder if he's gonna be creepy. Yeah, <laughs> dude was fucking creepy. Yeah. Um, he's really great in a film called Don't Look Now, which is a horror film I, from the that 70s. Is, that is like the classic horror film I've heard him associated with, yeah. along with the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So good. So, good. Um, so said Whedon of the experience, it didn't turn out to be the movie that I had written. Not that the movie is without merit, but I just watched a lot of stupid wannabe star behavior and a director with a different vision than mine, which was her right. It was her movie, but it was still frustrating. And, you know, Whedon, obviously, lots of issues there. But I do sympathize with the, with this feeling of, like, seeing something that obviously meant a lot to him. Yeah. Being turned into something that he didn't want. So I, I can I can at least sympathize with his feelings, and, and not that, necessarily with the behavior. And that kind of has to... I feel like that has to happen fairly frequently, unless, it, unless like... The director is also the writer of the right. movie. Oh, so frequently. And I'll have some thoughts. I'm going to later go on a little bit of a, some armchair psychology about Whedon and, right. and this film. And how possibly his shitty behavior in the future ties into his maybe disappointment over this film. Hmm. Um, so, the film was released on July 31st, 1992 and premiered at number 5 on the North American box office. Also charting that week in first place was Death Becomes Her in its first week, the uh, Meryl Streep film. Mm-hmm. In second place, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid in its third week. Uh, isn't that called Honey, I Blew Up the Baby? Uh, yes, it is. I mistyped that. Uh, thank you. How dare you besmirch <laughs> the name of that franchise. Uh, in third place was uh, Mo Money, which is a film I'm not familiar with, uh, mm-hmm. in its second week. And in fourth place, A League of Their Own in its fifth week. Um, other big films out at the time, uh, were Sister Act in its 10th week. Oh my god, I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Batman Returns in its 7th week. The gayest Batman movie. Uh-huh. Like, 
you could say Batman and Robin, but... But it is Batman Returns. It is Batman Returns. Batman Returns is my favorite queer Christmas horror film. Um. I mean, that that all checks out. (laughs) I I think that movie's just a little too ridiculous for its own good. Um, And lastly was Patriot Games in its ninth week. So a lot of very famous films Mm -hmm. uh, out around the same time. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer eventually grossed $16 million, or $16,624,456 against its $7 million budget, um, which, despite doubling its uh, its budget, probably still didn't turn around a, uh, a good profit because um, production budgets do not include marketing budgets. Um on Rotten Tomatoes, the film has a rotten rating at 36% uh, percent, just one regular percent. Uh, reviews were largely negative, though some praise was given uh, to the performances of Christy Swanson and Paul Rubens. Um, several years later, President and CEO of Sand Dollar, Gail Berman, who owned the television rights to the film and would later go on to be a Fox executive, approached Whedon with the idea to develop the concept into a television show which, of course, would go on to be a hit for the WB. The Kazooies, and for all of us. And for all of us. The Kazooies would be credited as executive producers for the show. See, I thought that name looked uh-huh. familiar. Yep. Uh, they are executive producers due to their involvement in the film, but they had no other involvement in the show okay. itself. Um, ultimately, the film is not considered canon to the show, and Whedon considers the show a sequel to his original script and not the finished film. In 1999, a three-issue comic was released entitled The Origin, which adapts the original script. On the canonical status of the comic, Whedon has said, The Origin comic, though I have issues with it, can pretty much be accepted as canonical. They did a cool job of combining the movie script, the script, with the series, and that was nice, and using the series Merrick and not a certain other thespian who shall remain hated. Of course, referring to Donald Sutherland. Which did, just wait, like, did he actually say that? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, come on, man. Like... I love, you know, I, I, I love to think that, um, you know how everybody has that one actor that they really hate? <laughs> it kind of, I just love the fact that for Joss Whedon, it sounds like it's Donald Sutherland. Sounds like it. Um... And he's got a reason to hate him. Like, I mean, I just like Jake Gyllenhaal. But, I mean, the it's very much a one-sided game. Yeah. Like, Jake Gyllenhaal is in stewing somewhere. Really like, God, that fucking Jason Effinger. <laughs> or maybe he is. He might be. We don't know. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah. So, that's the, the fun production of the film. Uh, so, just give a quick recap, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Um, you know, the film follows Buffy as she just uh, learns of her calling as the, uh, the Slayer. She trains with her uh, new watcher, Merrick. Uh, and ultimately confronts Lothos, a evil vampire, uh, and she kills him at the school dance. Um, so Jason, um, just like quick and dirty thoughts, just like overall. All right. Um, I, I'm not going to lie. I probably should have been watching this just as like, uh, oh, just watching this movie just for the movie's sake, but mm-hmm. I couldn't help like kind of tie it to the series. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's um, it's very <laughs> the movie is so tonally weird, mm-hmm. and it might be because of those rewrites that um, Whedon was mentioning. Um, but yeah, like 
the the very beginning of well after the brief recap as the brief like info dump of like oh here's what a slayer is yeah um you it follows the it follows buffy who um is similar to the show um a very kind of like vapid or as as uh, America would say, vacuous yeah. uh, person who's kind of like very self-involved, uh, very much the Regina George of her group. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, it, it feels like a discount store Clueless at the beginning. It does a little bit. <laughs> I mean, at one point, someone is wearing that fucking hat from Clueless. I, yeah. I mean, like years before the movie even came out. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels like Clueless and Buffy is um, Cher. Mm-hmm. Uh and um yeah and then like it just seems like the there's the total because the vampires don't seem to be present at all yeah for quite a while and then you get uh like the abduction of um that guy with the awful eyebrows oh yeah uh, Grueler, I think was his name. Grueler, yeah. Stupid names in this movie. (laughs) Stupid name for stupid eyebrows. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, um, yeah, I think overall it is a very cheesy... It's basically when I told people that we were watching this movie, or when I've told people that I've never seen the Buffy movie before, this was my first time seeing it. And uh, everybody warned me, like, yeah, it's super cheesy, super 90s, that it is. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, there are a couple of good things about it. Um, I I like the idea that um, it does try to focus on women being more powerful than people assume them to be. And Buffy, uh, and I like that um, one thing we get in this that we don't get in the series is that Buffy in the series is always very much a, um, like, no, 99% of the time, she's very much this strong, independent mm-hmm. woman. Um, and, uh, you know, she goes against, like, stereotypes that most people associate with, like, oh, this is just a dumb blonde teenage girl. <laughs> um, in this, we actually get to see a rather quick, but um, rather meaningful transition between, oh, she very much does embody like all of mm-hmm. those stereotypes and then tr- realizes that, Hey, there are things that are more important than me. Yeah. And, uh, I think, um, now obviously we love Sarah Michelle Gellar. Mm-hmm. Like she's fantastic. Uh, but I gotta say, I gotta give Christy Swanson her due. Like she is the best part of this movie. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like, if if she had been uh, carried over, then I think you would have gotten a pretty good... Mm-hmm. I, I still think you would have gotten a pretty good series. It's obviously impossible to say that because we yeah. always associate, like, Buffy is Sarah Michelle Gellar. Sarah right. Michelle Gellar is Buffy. Um, so I think... Uh, but I think that Christy Swanson deserves praise for originating the role. Yeah. And doing like the absolute best that she could do with what is like a very flawed rewritten script. Yeah. I I'm right there with you. I, I went in, so I have seen this movie before, but it has been like 10 years. Um, I've only seen it once. Um, I like, I could remember the literally 
The only thing I could remember, like, specifically about the film was Paul Rubens's like, ridiculous, like, <laughs> over-the-top, drawn-out death. <laughs> um, and then, like, the return to it at the end of the credits. <laughs> Paul Rubens's character is so weird because, like, it feels that once you reach a certain point in the movie... You don't play a lot for laughs anymore, mm. except with maybe like uh, Hillary Swank's character. Oh my gosh! Um, and uh, Je- was she Jessica or um, or was that the uh, the other girl? So there was Jennifer. Jennifer, who's the one? That's the one who hooks up with Buffy's boyfriend at the end. Okay. Uh, Hillary Swank is Kimberly. Okay. Yes. Um, and then and Nikki. Nikki's the one who actually like fought some vampires yeah. off. And then the the. The only black character in the movie, she actually kills some vampires mm-hmm. and then gets killed, saving Hillary Swank's did, stupid ass. Did they actually show her getting killed? I, sh- I show. I saw, I remember seeing like her being dragged out the window. We see her getting dragged out the window, and then she's just not seen for the rest of the movie. All so right. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna assume dead. But but yeah, I I just remember going in thinking like, oh, it's a mess. It's campy. Like we're gonna have fun, but like it's a campy mess. And I was as I was watching it, I was like, yes, that is accurate. And I did have fun, but I also was like, oh, but there's, like, there's good stuff in here. Yeah. Like, that scene where, um, I think that was the scene where you commented, you were like, Christy Swanson's really good in this role, was when she and Merrick are having that discussion, um, and he, uh, he's... She's, they like, have, saying like, that heart- he needs to lighten up. Yeah, and he, like, makes the joke, and, like, they just have that heart-to-heart, and I was like, this is, this is, like, good dialogue... This is a good moment for both of these characters. Both of these actors are bringing some, like, real um, human emotion to this. Like, I was like, this is good. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost that, disappointing. I, I, think, I think that might have been something that was absolutely written by Whedon. Oh, yeah. Um, it felt like it. Yeah. So, and I do think... I, th- I think the movie is stronger in its first half. It's definitely funnier... And I found I just I found myself getting bored a little bit in the second half. And I'm gonna I'm not gonna put the blame on Rutger Hauer, but I am gonna say that I find Lo- Lothos to be a quite a dull villain outside of well, you little bitch. Well, it's but it's he has almost zero presence. Exactly. Like you get like maybe one scene, you get two dream scenes yeah. with him in it, and he's barely in it. Right. So it's like most of the vampires are either um, David Arquette's character, mm-hmm. Benny, Ben. Yes. Yeah. Um and. Uh, or, um, I almost said Alan Rickman's character. <laughs> uh, um, uh, Paul Rubin. Paul Rubin's yeah. character. Uh, what I meant to say, what I was going to say before was that uh, Paul Rubin's character always seemed to be fairly comedic, even when he yes. wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> so even till the very end, yeah. that, that really... And past. <laughs> ridiculous, yeah, ridiculous death scene. Yeah. But can we talk about the cast? <laughs> yeah. Okay. What a cast. So I'm just gonna let's like just like go down it real quick, and then and and then we will. Yeah. So Chrissy Swanson is Buffy Summers. Luke Perry as Oliver Pike. Did not know his first name was Oliver. Uh, did not. Catch well, that. see, so that's weird because when it shows him working at the auto shop, he's got a jumpsuit on and the name tag says Otis. Oh. Because I made a joke like ha, his name's Otis. <laughs> But apparently it wasn't. Okay. Uh, Rutger Hauer as Lothos. Donald Sutherland as Merrick Jameson Smythe. Okay. Uh, Paul Rubens as Amelin. Hilary Swank 
as Kimberly, Hannah, and I'm just gonna, well, I said we'd go down the list and then we discuss it, so let's do that. I'm breaking my own rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paris Vaughn as Nicole, uh, Michelle Abrams as Jennifer, Randall Battenkoff as Jeffrey Kramer, David Arquette as Benny Jacks, Stephen Root as Principal Gary Murray, Natasha Gregson Wagner as Cassandra, Sasha Jensen as Grueler, Thomas Jane as Zeph, uh, Candy Clark as Buffy's mom. She's not credited with a name. Also, she gets uh, a random, like, and credit right before the cast credits start rolling so at the weird. end. So weird. And then, uh, not credited in the film. But noticeable. Is, but, yeah, is Ben Affleck as basketball player number 10. Uh, for those who have seen the movie, uh, he's the one that, uh, oh shit, I already forgot the name of the... Uh, Grueler. Grueler. Yeah, when Grueler's out on the basketball court, um, Ben Affleck's character gets the ball, and Grueler's just like, yeah. and he's like, oh my god, fine, and he just it. gives him the ball, yeah. that's it. Um... Also uncredited, in a, uh, this would be an actual cameo, not a famous person, like not a retroactively famous person, is Ricky Lake um, as a character named Charlotte. And I didn't catch her cameo. I didn't. At first I thought that maybe she was a, uh, she was one of Buffy's friends, but like, yeah. yeah I think wasn't. she would have been too old at that point, yeah. I think. Um, Seth Green as a vampire. Specifically, um, if you all uh, do end up watching the movie and you look, want to look for Seth Green, yep. um, you see... Right when Buffy exits the gym, um, she exits the dance to uh, fight the vampires after she does the whole, like, ripping the bottom half of her dress off. Um, she uh, she looks at all this gang of vampires, and she sees... Uh, you can see, like, Seth Green for a very instant on, like, the far left of the screen, and then that is the first vampire that she just... Di- Kicks right in the head. Yep. And I missed his face, but I could still tell him, tell, catch him from the back of his head. Mm-hmm. Because, um, and then lastly, also a cameo, an uncredited cameo, is Alexis Arquette um, as the vampire DJ. Okay. Um, I'm assuming David Arquette's brother? Sister. Sister? Yes. Oh, wow. She's, she was transgender. Oh, um, okay. So, so this, I think, was pre-transition. Okay. Um, but, um, so yes, I mean... A cast of, you know, a lot of these people became famous later. Yeah. Um, but for me, outside of Swanson, the standout for me is Hilary Swank. She's so fucking funny. <laughs> she knows what her job is, and she fucking does it. Well, like, I mean, if if um, Buffy is the... If Buffy is the, say, Cordelia of this group that eventually, like, grows as a character... Hillary Swank is definitely the harmony. Yes. And I love it. Oh my gosh, she's so funny. She has that line that's so awful where she says, like, you look like a thing from another tax bracket. I think she also, like, when they first see Merrick, she's like, uh, you look like a homeless. Like, uh, homeless. Yeah. So awful, but so, I mean, she just... Her, those one-liners, she cut, like, she delivers them well. She has that great when, uh, the principal pushes her into like the wall she falls and her eyes go cross it's like apparently she's still a little woozy after it looks like she probably got a concussion because in the tv interview she's like i accept this honor and do agree to be your next miss america oh so funny so funny it's like yes it it is I would I understand like Whedon being frustrated that this is all really really broad and like more probably more slapstick than he wanted 
But I will say, within the realm of broad and slapstick, like, like you know, that, that performance, she's nailing exactly what is being asked of her. I think... Um... And her other cronies as well. They're all yeah. just all all of them are funny. I think the I think what the movie what the what um both the director and the studio was going for was a movie that would be more geared towards people who are in the age group of Buffy. Mm-hmm. And um and so if you have this darker script you might like push people away. They wanted to give it more of a broad appeal. Yeah. And uh, that can be... It's a uh, compromised that, vision. Yeah. And that that can also like take away from the quality of, of what could have been. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. But I... And I will, I will say, I think the TV show proved those executives wrong because Buffy was extremely popular with the, with the teenage audience. Yeah. They, they didn't... Because I think one of the things that made the show popular amongst teenagers when it premiered was that it it wasn't talking down to them. It treated their problems and their feelings like real problems mm-hmm. and like with respect. Not that this movie doesn't, but yeah, it's definitely going for a more broader appeal. And they, um, and they do seem to, uh, you know, in this, like, Buffy's concerns are, I mean, her concerns aren't her family. Like, her family <laughs> barely cares about, like, where she is her parents are gone most of the time mm-hmm. and like when she comes back after her first like fight with vampires and merrick um she walks in her mom's like do you know what time it is she's like close to 10 it's like oh good my watch isn't working <laughs> that first of all fucking hilarious <laughs> just a objectionably except except a little funny it's funny you know what i'm trying to say but also a great moment yeah to indicate uh, to just show the the audience how little her her family factors into her life. Uh, so apart from you know her family, which isn't really a huge concern for her, um, she Buffy does say that uh, like I think the two most important things to her are like you know her extracurriculars, um, and uh, it kind of, the movie doesn't do anything to emphasize how important that is to her. And, uh, and like, it makes, it makes it kind of like sting a little more that Merrick is just like, oh, who, who cares? Like there are people mm-hmm. dying and stuff, but the TV show does a much better job of, uh, highlighting just this balance that Buffy's trying to find between those two things. Uh, one of the things I like about, uh, the movie is, uh, we get to see, uh, in the show, we don't see Buffy's pre-Slayer life. We should, we see her, um, just as the Slayer at the beginning um, and we only get brief flashbacks of her um, before the Slayer. Um, and I find that um, I struggle to kind of picture what that's like for Buffy, what that looks like, um, even with that little flashback. So I really like, um, and credit to Swanson, seeing the before and the after and feeling that that transition um, and that growth happens naturally. Um, and I, I think that scene, as we discussed earlier, the scene with Merrick and her solidifies that growth and it, we kind of made a I made a comment that um in relation to the um what's the line that uh the put childish things away or whatever it's like yeah. this is very much a um a coming of age story mm-hmm. for Buffy and uh 
While we're on the subject, let's talk about the watcher known as Merrick. Let's talk about um, talk about Merrick. First of all, God, Donald Sutherland plays him so creepy. Like it, it, it's not like I understand. Like, oh, I'm trying to do my job, but it is just <laughs> creepy. He just um, shop stops showing up in places where underage girls are. Yeah, like I mean, look, running at her, running into her in the mall. Okay, fine. <laughs> But in the girls' locker room... It's a naked place. Dude, it is a naked place. Um, I love that she covers her body with the locker door, even though she's still fully dressed. Well, I mean, she... There were a couple things on display, but... Uh, <laughs> um, now that I know... So... But... Uh, and then, um, one thing I didn't really like uh, was how apparently... Merrick was not sure that she was the Slayer until she just did that random routine, that random flip yeah. routine. Like, th- there were so many moments that should have been more impactful than they were. Um, he just like, oh, well, I didn't know that you were the Slayer. You were the Chosen One until now. And uh, I'm like, really? Just because <laughs> she did a couple flips? I mean, a gymnast could do flips. She even says, like, I used to do gymnastics. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and then, like, another thing is when, uh, um, Lothos is killed, I personally would have loved if, like, she had taken his katana and decapitated him. That would have been cool. Like, instead of just, like, oh, random, like, staking while she's like, oh, you bitch. You bitch. God, you got Warren Mears energy with those, (laughs) those bitches. You know... I am honestly surprised that we don't hear more men saying the word bitch in the series. Like, I can only really think of a few times when it happens. Uh, the big one is probably, like, uh, Caleb in, uh, mm-hmm. like, near the end of season seven. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, that's, like, the last episode. That That's chosen. Oh, is it? Because that's his last line, right? It's bitch. Like, it's, it's like, it's like you, did you think we were done here, bitch? Because it's, like, right yeah. after Angel shows up. Yeah. Um, um, and but, then like Warren obviously well and... I kind of broke my rule about like oh we're not going to go too <laughs> yeah. far into the series <laughs> straight to the finale <laughs> <laughs> it's alright you, you all don't even know who Caleb is Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing another kind of moment that I find related to Merrick that I find underwhelming and it really shouldn't be underwhelming is Merrick's death mm-hmm. it, that, I mean that should be a momentous like that should be the moment and i just i maybe it's the i don't know if it's the way it's staged or if it's the way that sutherland plays it or i'm just like he gives like a weird cryptic like when the music stops thing which kind of becomes yeah which becomes a quote from hamlet yeah it's (laughs) i don't i just the death itself just falls flat for me, and then that subsequently makes Buffy's like refusal of the call in relation to it also fall flat. I'm yeah. just like, I'm just like, and maybe that's why the second half kind of drags for me because I'm just like, I'm just waiting for Buffy to become the badass she's meant to be. But uh, while we're on the subject of Merrick, let's talk about uh, an aspect of the mythology that did not make it to mm-hmm. the series, and that is that. Uh, while there is only one Slayer, there's also only one Watcher. And it apparently is Merrick, and he's reborn over and over again. He says that he's, like, trained hundreds of girls. He does a comment that Buffy's, like, uh, particularly um, adept. And, uh... 
He calls her exceptional. Exceptional. I love yeah, that. that that's nice. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's a very it was very strange to find that out. Yeah. Um, that is probably the second weirdest thing that um, is part of this mythos that doesn't make it into the series. I'll let you talk about the yeah. other one, but uh, it. I'm kind of glad that that didn't carry over. Me too. Uh, because the Watchers Council has just become such a fantastic way to depict goddamn patriarchy right and uh it's it's also like just a really fun thing for us to like constantly be like god fucking watchers council Council. yeah this is the sort of thing that is like interesting when it's in isolation in a film Mm -hmm. and you don't have time to build out that mythology um and in the larger world you have to keep it pretty simple and small um and just a few pieces but yeah, on the show, having an organization that's doing that, and that yes, we can we can go into the grossness of how the this organization, which is mostly men, uh, mostly white men, mm-hmm. uh, how they use teenage girls as disposable tools, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that a television show can really get dig their teeth into. So, um, so before you jump into the next thing. Um, how familiar are you with Stargate, the Stargate franchise? Uh, not particularly. I know, like, the Stargates themselves are essentially, like, it's like a technology that can create, like, portals to portals, different places. Portals between worlds, yeah. But that's all um, I know about it. Well, you know, it's very interesting because, uh, what, like, you just mentioned building the mythology, and um, Stargate was originally a movie that starred right. um, Russ, uh, no, Kurt Russell? I think Kurt Russell and um, and uh, James Spader, and uh, they were later um, and uh, as opposed to the Buffy series, Stargate SG One is very much a sequel mm. to the uh, the series, and um, it's always astounded me because Stargate has one of the craziest mythologies. It was Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell, okay. James Spader. Um, Stargate has like such a huge mythology, but you wouldn't think that from just watching that first movie. And uh, it's like, oh, they go to another planet and they find that this race is being subjugated by aliens. That's crazy. Uh, but the, yeah, the fact that they were able to build on that mythology and make um, two. So I've only seen the two big series. I haven't seen Stargate Universe, but. Uh, those two, like, uh, SG-1 and Atlantis are fantastic. So, is Stargate the one, um, and my friends who are listening, spoilers for Stargate, is that the one that ends with, like, the revelation that the whole show's uh, not set in the future, but, like, in the past, and, like, they in like they come to Earth and, like, inhabit no, it? No, that is, um, spoilers for another series... That is Battlestar Galactica. Uh, okay. That is the new um, one. No, Stargate actually introduces a really cool thing that um, the gods of that are present in ancient mythologies were actually aliens. Okay. And that's how ancient civilizations were able to make the uh, the structures that they were able to, like the pyramids, like um, the Ga'uld, or like the main antagonist for a hefty chunk of the first part of the series, and uh, their ships are like giant pyramids oh cool so no it's is an investment because stargate as you want alone has 10 seasons and uh stargate atlantis which is extremely worth watching has five seasons um but 
it's all fun because it it very much like Buffy is able to take serious stories but also have like sar- sarcasm mm-hmm. and uh, like the leads are able to have fun with it. Like there's a great episode that like makes fun of Groundhog Day nice. where um, you know I love a Groundhog Day episode. Oh yeah, yeah, where like uh, O'Neill and Teal are uh, trapped in a loop and uh, at first they're like trying to find a way to get out of it. They're not like they're not like uh, they're not like Daniel Jackson and um, and uh, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on her name? Uh, uh, Carter. Uh, Samantha Carter, um, th- who are like the normally like the fairly intelligent ones, they're like the oh we're the muscle, mm. and so they're the ones that have to figure it out. But after but they like at first they try figuring out and get bored with it, nice. and uh, Daniel Jackson's like oh yeah well I mean you know you guys could pretty much do anything if you wanted to, and then there's just this nice sequence of them just doing whatever the hell that they wanted, including using the Stargate and <laughs> driving golf balls through it. <laughs> Nice, but uh, that yeah. sounds familiar. I think you've told me that before. Uh, like, it's it's fantastic. Nice. Um, Shall we go to yes. the other pit of mythology? That's let yeah. You should definitely do this because Buffy can detect vampires with her uterus, and that I, that's just what it is. She gets cramps, mm-hmm. and it is and it is like explicitly like this is not like a wink wink. It, she explicitly compares them. To menstrual cramps. Yep. Um, and is like, I'm not due for these. Um, for like three weeks. And Merrick's like, I know. Fucking weirdo. Um, <laughs> but, but she's like, yeah, she's like, um, yeah, basically that is a, a, a power, I guess, quote unquote, of the Slayer is that she can, um, yeah, she gets cramps when she's near vampires, which is just the sort of thing that really feels like a man wrote it thinking it was empowering. You yeah, know what I mean? It feels it, like he's like, went, oh, but like, I'm taking this part of you that's like, you know, your menstrual cycle, you know, that's inherently, uh, you know, you know, part of part of your body and all this, and I'm using, making it part of your superpower. Yeah, but it's, it's a tool weird. that you can use. No, it, it's weird. No, it, it almost makes it seem like, oh, a woman is slave to her uterus. Yeah. Um, and, uh... If we want to jump ahead a lot in time, it is very similar to the Black Widow story in Avengers Age of mm. Ultron, which is a movie that Whedon also wrote, and um, how, like, uh, oh yeah, part of the process of becoming a Black Widow was to have your uterus removed, and, uh, like, Black Widow says something along the lines of, like, oh, this takes, um, like, they took away, like, my humanity with that, yeah. and kind of like makes it seem like oh the only thing that women are good for is having babies making babies yeah Yeah. i actually think that um and and i won't derail us but um i feel like the uh the black widow movie takes that idea and actually does something much more meaningful and with nuance where it portrayed the scene where they her and oh god yelena yelena talk about it they're just like yeah, it's really fucked up. Like, this was something that was horrible and done to us without our permission and without our consent. And it doesn't make us any less of people, but it does make the people who did it to us, like, less of people. Leave it to Florence Pugh to just, like, Uh, be amazing. Love her. (laughs) Florence Pugh would be, like, incredible as, like, in, like, a spinoff, like, a Buffy spinoff as, like, like, a potential who became a Slayer. 
you know, I actually wouldn't mind seeing her as a female watcher. Ooh, okay. We can't. We can't get. We can't well, no, get buried in the weeds no, no, on this. No, no, but no, I'm into no, it. I'm so like, into because it. Because here's the thing. I would want if we're gonna do our Buffy reboots. I would want a. Um, I would want to stick with high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I I very much love the high school vibes of the first few seasons, um, and like you know, becoming Slayer is very much a coming of age thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I don't think Florence Pugh is young enough anymore to play no. high school, but. I would love to see her be like not only a watcher but like a fairly new watcher. That would be interesting. Actually, what would be kind of cool, just kind of like a flip of the dynamic, is a Slayer who obviously is still young, but is like, is like established as the Slayer has been the Slayer for like a year or two, and maybe has just lost her watcher. And is getting like so, a bit like a Kendra character almost, like somebody who's familiar with all the lore. Yeah, right? yeah, and then gets a Watcher who's kind of inexperienced. Mm-hmm. That'd be a cool like flip on the dynamic. Anyway, yeah. that's like, we <laughs> welcome to the new podcast. Pitch your Buffy spinoff. Um, there's one uh, one more aspect of the mythology that does make it into the show, um, although it's not used a ton in the show, and that's the Slayer's dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, although in this case, Buffy is dreaming instead of like future events, she's dreaming of her past lives. Um, and there's one I want to just pit, point to in particular. In this dream, Buffy is getting ready for bed, and she's got her white uh, nightgown, and her she ties her hair up in a red ribbon. And um, this imagery of the white clothing and the red ribbon we see quite a bit throughout the film. But she, um, she goes to her bed and Lothos is in the bed and she like lies kind of on top of him. And yeah. The, it pans around, the camera pans around the room and the, her bedroom morphs into like his lair and they're just in this really creepy tableau. Um, and I just really, I really like it. I thought it was really cool. It was cool. It, and like it, if stuff like that had kind of been a little bit more present um, then Lothos may have seemed like a bit more of a threat. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just like he didn't get enough focus to be a good villain. Like it, it very much is kind of like how the master is because he spends so much time in like trapped in his underground lair in season one. I mean, mm-hmm. hell, the master is pretty much the most one of the most forgettable big bads there. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'd love to forget Adam, but uh, unfortunately, he's just so bad that yeah. I can't remember that. Um, but yeah. Uh, I'm not even clear what Lothos' plan is. No. What's like, he want to do? <laughs> no, like, they apparently wanted to get Los Angeles. Like, you said he wanted the City of Angels, but, I mean, it, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. it, they just... And, um, and uh, Paul Rubens is obsessed with getting... Uh, with getting uh, Pikes, with just getting Pike. I mean, yeah. at first, obviously later, it's because like, oh, you, the reason I don't have an arm anymore. <laughs> uh, but um, it seems like he's dead set on just getting him, and yeah. I don't know why. Because uh, you mentioned that you wanted to say this, but uh, he's dull. He's lame. Like Luke Perry, I like Luke Perry. He's charming, and obviously Luke Perry, heartthrob, who only got hotter as he aged. All right, all right, <laughs> he's like a fine wine. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's just a dull character. He is, and I mean, he's meant to be the love interest, but uh, it's, I don't know. I feel like part of that story is 
oh, you want Buffy to realize that her previous boyfriend, that her boyfriend at the beginning of the movie is, like, a bit of a douche. And, I mean, there's barely, like, any material to work with on that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I feel like the only time you get that impression is that, like, oh... Um, he breaks up with her via uh, an answer, via an answering machine. You broke message. up with my machine. Yeah, I love and that. um, and then like goes to the dance with her friend, and then like uh, me like just start having sex in in his car. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like it, it makes that love story just like oh, I'm like you're just kind of like this random guy that I run into, and then you're he's, slightly better than my boyfriend. So yeah, and he's like. Oh, when she starts losing faith, he's the one who's like, oh, you have to, like, I mean, you're, you're supposed to be the one that's fighting all these things. And then, like, uh, then all of a sudden she's like, oh, I love you at the dance. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, I wonder if that was even planned in Ween's original script. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, or if that was kind of forced in because like hey it's luke perry we gotta have yeah we gotta have like because you said like he was one of the ones originally cast yeah i mean um, it was his casting that convinced a studio to actually like green light the film um so in that regard like thanks luke perry <laughs> yeah but yeah the character is just uh is just underwhelming and underwritten also i find it kind of funny that like it was uh dolly parton's uh film right. studio so like you know, thanks Dolly Parton. We always associate uh, Lucille Ball with being um, tantamount in keeping Star Trek going, yeah, and uh, leading it to becoming like the franchise that it is. Could we do that? This could we do the same thing with Dolly Parton with Buffy? I'm all in. Yeah, I mean Dolly Parton is a national treasure. Yes, like yeah. Um. So yeah, that is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was fun. I think we had a good time. Yeah, it's you... certainly not a perfect film. <laughs> no, um, it, uh, it it it's. I mean, I feel like as fans of Buffy, you gotta see it. Yeah. Um, if for nothing else than just to see like what a change it was mm-hmm. and how lucky we are that instead of like getting only having this kind of mediocre film we got one of the greatest television series ever made yeah so i'm very much looking forward to um a podcast that i listen to that i really really like um horror queers which i've talked to you about and i think I've, I've definitely mentioned on here before mm-hmm. they are doing for their patreon um of which i'm a subscriber they're doing or they've already done it's already been released um an audio commentary on the film <laughs> um, but i have not listened to it yet because i didn't want yeah you wanna, i didn't want their discussion to yeah, inform you watch the, yeah like um i uh recently bought a copy a 4k copy of the northman mm-hmm. uh one of my favorite movies this year and uh i i like even though seeing it in theaters twice um i am very interested I, i'm normally not into commentaries but mm-hmm. I actually really want to hear Robert Eggers' uh, commentary on just the whole production of that movie because yeah. that movie is technically astounding. Yeah. Um, and uh, but you know, I I last week I watched it. I just watched the movie, and uh, probably the next time I watch it, unless it's with friends, because uh, I don't think you've seen it. Not yet. yet. We still not um, watched it yet. But uh, the next time I watch it will probably be like I will watch the movie with the feature length commentary not something that i do fairly often but i'm ready to do that for the northman a good commentary is good a bad commentary real bad Mm -hmm. all right well i hope you uh listeners i hope you enjoyed this uh discussion um i i certainly did um and i'm glad we got the chance to do this yeah 
Well, I mean, we, we don't do these bonus episodes unless they're going to be fun. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's the first time we've ever done a bonus episode on a film. Uh, uh, which means we still need to do <laughs> Quest for, for Campbell. Campbell. I was thinking that earlier today. I was uh, like, we, hang on, let me see if it's currently streaming anywhere. I think it's on Disney+. Plus. Really? I, That's strange because I don't think it was a Disney movie. It, may, it wasn't, but I think... It may have like, been a studio that got gobbled up by Disney. Yeah, I think... Um, I definitely have looked this up in the past. I don't remember... Alright, it looks like the only place that it's streaming is Hoopla. Oh, okay. And you have to be subscribed to that. Hoopla but... is one that you can uh, subscribe through uh, libraries. So I don't know if... Okay, Google well, I tried, yeah, I tried that with Canopy, and uh, it was great for the, the time that we had it, but then, like... Oh, we don't have Canopy anymore? Unless you're a student. Ah, uh, yeah. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, no, well, you can rent it. It's, I like, three, it's $3 to rent. I also still have dvd netflix so i can just get it from there too there you go all right well listeners thank you so much uh for joining us on this very special bonus episode we'll be back for our regular coverage with angel season two episode 19 belonging i'm jason you can find me on instagram at yami j357 and on twitter at plain old yami j and i'm harrison you can find me on instagram at harrison alexander kaufman and on twitter at harrison kaufman that's spelled c-o-f-f-m-a-n you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter at booze and buffy or you can email us at booze and buffy at gmail.com email us what you thought of the movie if you've seen it um and uh oh and in all those cases the and is spelled out a n d yes and as always uh please go and rate and review us on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and don't forget to subscribe um and it's a bonus episode so no nonprofits or anything this uh episode but you know go out and do good things in the world yeah um for instance i'm gonna go and spend the evening with uh my mother and father-in-law who snuck in while we were recording (laughs) and uh yeah i'm going to uh probably watch uh in the chill of the night and treasure of the sierra madre nice Uh, but first you have to come say hi to vicky and rich oh of course i actually haven't seen them since before covid so i'm excited yeah they're sweet people all right well as always Go slay and be gay and take you a bitch, you little bitch. <laughs> I just, you know, as underwhelming. No, I don't want to say underwhelming as I found Rutger Howard's. It's not the performance; it's the line character. De- line delivery is fantastic. That line delivery. <laughs> oh, gosh, all right. Peace out, motherfuckers. Bye, guys.